We are launching into a series on how to neighbor. So get ready to be good neighbors, see what God has to say to us. And we want to just introduce a couple of actionable steps to remind you of this. When you walk out today, there's bread. Uh, bread tape. I'm not talking like money bread, so don't get so excited. I'm talking about bread bread, uh, and it's good bread bread. Uh, and you can, you're supposed to give it to a neighbor. And I will admit, we'll admit, it's got a little note on it to just let them know when Easter stuff is taking place. So feel free to take two. Uh, you, can, you can have one, give one, give two, you know, uh, make sure uh, they walk out the door. And so there are all the entrances, exits. Okay. Here's another actionable piece that we're going to do. It is the season of Lent. And in this time, we're taking, taking steps to go, we're going to be people of prayer. We emphasize that all the time. So there are candles in the service. Before we exit today, usually you hear this blessing. You're going to hear that blessing. Before that hits, we're going to take time to uh, pause with those that you came with or those that you might know around you. And you're going to pray out loud. There's, there's like an out loud prayer moment, and we'll give you a prompt. We'll give you like, here's a script if you need. Just plant the seed, but those are some things that we want to want to get used to being people of prayer and having, having things come out of our mouths as we speak with God. Here's our key verse for today. It comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So hear it, sit in it a little bit, soak on that a bit. That's this concept that we're diving into for this entire month. And it goes hand in hand with this New Testament concept. I'm going to give you Greek words. I didn't really like going to Greek class, so, but I had to. I'm going to take you to Greek class with me a little bit. Just like, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this together. Uh, and this is actually something very helpful. Philoxenia, it means hospitality. It's smashing together two words. Philos is phileo, which is one of the Greek words. There's three Greek words for love. And it is a concept of, I love you, man. It's this, it's this friendship, loving kindness. It's the term that Jesus would use for his disciples. It's this thing that just, I just stick with you. I love you, man. And you're just, uh, you're connected. Xenia is stranger. It is kindness to the stranger, hospitality. And that is this concept that, that we want to bring to bear in our lives. Now, just, just, some, just some things in that era, just not only in that, in that New Testament church culture, in that Hebrew Jewish culture, but even around the world for centuries, the concept of showing kindness to strangers has been uplifted. So you go back, uh, Reuben, who's this phenomenal painter, paints this story. It's, it's simply uh, Jupiter and Mercury in the home of Philemon and Bacchus is, is what it is. And there's this story that the mythological gods of Jupiter and Mercury go to this village and they start knocking on houses asking who might show them hospitality. And they're disguised in a way that people can't see them. And all the wealthy folks turn them away, turn them away, turn them away. And a home that has more meager means invites them in. And Philemon's given the best fruit. They're about ready to give the goose. And you can see the goose can see who they really are. And he sees the guy that goes, don't cook the goose. You know, he's like, he's going like, bail me out. Tell him who you are. But by the way, the, in the story, the goose makes it through the story. Just so you know, the goose makes it through. 
And Philemon and Bacchus, uh, uh, the, the mythological gods are revealed, and they're, they're incredibly blessed in the story because they showed uh, phylloxenia. Um, we have all collectively, a more current kind of thought about neighboring, have had the best neighbor ever in Mr. Fred Rogers. He gave his life calling to being a neighbor to children who were growing up who needed to understand that somebody cared about them when they didn't know how to deal with their emotions or feelings. Maybe they had a move and, oh, it was a tough move. Maybe there was a new baby brother or sister that came along and how do you handle that? Maybe mom and dad are going through a divorce. Maybe you've got to go to the dentist. It's like Mr. Rogers would just pause and take time and walk through those hard emotional kinds of things. Okay. So those are good neighbor examples. But wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun to hear some bad neighbor examples? Uh, One of the best bad neighbor moments that ever happened in all of history happened at the Trojan War was a bad neighbor moment. Paris, an individual named Paris, not the city of Paris. Paris goes to visit Sparta. And, and uh, Helen, the queen of Sparta, runs off with Paris, and they go back to Troy. And uh, I got to look up the name. The king's name's hard to say. Menelaus of Sparta isn't only necessarily outraged that his wife left. It's more, they worship the god Zeus. And Zeus, there's this saying called Zeus Xenia. Zeus is the protector of the stranger, and they like broke all the hospitality rules. So to defend Zeus, we must go to Troy and, and all kinds of All kinds of wars take place. All kinds of wars take place. Little wars when we don't exercise love towards the stranger, the foreigner. Here's a current one. So my dear wife, Terry, at the age of 19, was foreperson of a jury in Miles City, Montana, because there was mischief on the T and Y Canal. That was a canal that connected the Tongue River and the Yellowstone River, and it was this deal and there was a rascally older farmer who didn't like that that canal would on occasion flood his basement so he diverted the water kind of created a pond like thing and all the other farmers downstream from that couldn't water their crops and the crops all died and it was it was as if all the other older folks in town they they got they had to be on the jury but they didn't want to be the four person because the four person was going to go you're guilty there's mischief in montana and terry had to declare that person guilty of mischief on the t and y canal i just say bad neighbor bad neighbor moment we we all know what it's like to be recipients of mischief in montana or Trojan War kinds of experience, or we have brought them on ourselves. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Let's jump into God's word. This is good stuff that we have today. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay, right there. (laughs) Right there. You think there's 12 times in the New Testament when somebody tested Jesus. And the disciples have to be thinking right now, Oh, dude, you think you're going to stick it to Jesus. It's going to be a bad beat for you. This is not going to go well. Uh, get ready for a teachable moment. We're going to go on some kind of ride, and, and that's what's going to take place. Now, know this. Whenever we have these questions where we think we're testing God, Jesus just turns this and says, well, 
His question is very legitimate. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? You can have questions of God. Questions towards God are really good things. It, it means that you're seeking depth. It means that you're seeking insight. It means that you're hungry to grow in the Lord. So questions towards God are great. But know that if we ever think that we're questioning God, that we're putting like God on trial, is like, oh no, we're really the ones that are on trial. We're really the ones, though, that have an opportunity for transformation that might take place. God's never on trial. It's always us. And this is what the individual answered is our key verse. These, these don't come out of the mouth of Jesus, but it comes out of this expert in the law who's trying to test Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you're going to live. They're on the same page. Same page. It's working out. He's quoting the Shema. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. That's what he's saying. It's, it's, it's very well known. In fact, the Shema, circling it, says, tell these commandments to your children. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Talk about them when you get up in the morning. Talk about them when you go to bed at night. These things are to be on your lips and just, just coming out of your mouth. This is the Shema. And so the Jewish Hebrew people, before their feet would hit the floor in the morning... Remember, Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Yeah. Feet hit the floor, you start the day. They'd sit down to have a meal. They'd say this. They'd, before they walked out of their house, they would say this. Before they closed their eyes and sleep at night, they would say this. And if they hit it right, their high hope is the last words out of their mouth. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then they'll take their last breath and meet the Lord God Almighty. That big deal stuff. Big deal stuff. You would think that they could just kind of close it up and go. There's a whole other conversation that's going to be unpackaged. There's a necessary teachable moment. And so the overarching theme of what's being taught is we need to be compassionate. We need to be empathetic. We need to be looking out for other people. And we're going to plow in a little more into what God's word has to say. But we're going to pause on this level that we need to be compassionate, empathetic people. Brene Brown, amazing Christ follower, uh, has this thought on empathy. So I want us to catch this, and then we're going to dive back in to what Jesus is going to teach. Watch this. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole 
and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, whoo, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Individual wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, so who's my neighbor? Now, it's no longer a trap. Catch this. It's no longer a trap. He's not trying to test Jesus in that way. But he does have a manipulative spirit about him. And this is where we receive this life-shaping teaching from Jesus. And so this is really exciting because some of you, you know this. And this has informed and instructed your life. And you're gonna, we're going to be reminded of it again. And we need to be reminded of this again. And for some of us, this might be just groundbreaking that we haven't heard this before. And we get to enter in. This is exciting for all of us. So in reply, Jesus says, tells a story. It's a parable. It's a way of teaching. A man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's attacked by robbers, stripped of his clothing, beaten. They go away. They leave him half dead. Um, now, so, something's taking place in a parable. So they're used to narrative teaching in form like this. And here's one of a few things that's going to happen. There's going to be some kind of surprise arrival, or there's going to be some kind of upside-down value system that's going to be shifted, or there's going to be some kind of important crisis decision. What happens in this parable, all of these elements are there. Jesus winds up connecting on all of these different modes within this parable. So he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem's 3,000. It sits high, 3,000 feet up. And Jericho sits low. I mean, even 1,000 feet below sea level. That's how the topography of the region works out. So it's, it's a good 30-ish miles there. It's, it's, it is known to be a place where people could be waylaid just like this. And, I, and we want to pause and ask, have you ever walked a difficult path? Yeah. Have you ever been robbed of something? Have you ever been left abandoned? Have you ever been robbed of some kind of job? Have you ever been robbed of some kind of business? Have you ever been robbed of some kind of certain 
season, opportunity? And then have you ever been left abandoned in some kind of relationship? We have all been on the Jericho Road and been left. We know what this feels like. Not only are we to identify later with one of the individuals in the story, but we know what it's like to be this individual as well. A priest happens to be going down the road and a Levite happens to be going down the road and it goes one, two, the same things happen in each of these scenarios. They see the individual and they pass by on the other side. And what has to be going through the individual who's hurt and beaten and wounded, there's this, I hear some footsteps, you know? The hopes are starting to rise. Oh, there's priestly garb. There's Levitical garb. It means it's like a Pastor Jim type, a Pastor Vicky, a Pastor Josh, you know? It's one of the, it's one of the leaders of the church. Woo-hoo, there's, woo somebody's gonna stop by. And I tell you, there's this huge ouch factor for me because these individuals just walk on by. And there's some reasons. I mean, there's been times that this is how traps are set and people are waylaid when they stop to help. There's issues of ceremonial uncleanliness that could come into play, but those reasons don't seem to be justified, although those are there and those are real. Uh, if I'm going to give you a sports terminology, and sometimes when I talk to people and give them athletic, athletic little stories and they don't get it, I, I take time to draw it up for them and, and realize we've just spent seven minutes and that doesn't help them at all. So if this doesn't help you, I, I, I apologize. But a coach can often say, hey, get some separation. And so if that's basketball, you get separation to get a shot off. Or if it's soccer, you need some separation to get a shot off or to, to catch a pass, to do. You getting separation can be a good thing. And We've talked about how God says, I want you to, I, I want to take you and set you apart or this thing or this time or this day. There are often times that we set things apart and we separate and it can be a good thing. There really can be a good thing. This is not one of those times. We have to have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in our life to understand it's not only get some separation. And we just, what we do is we social distance before social distance was even a cool or appropriate thing. We just, we just kind of wind up taking that mode to distance ourselves and distance ourselves when we are supposed to walk towards something. But a Samaritan, oh, there's a gasp. Because in parable form, the third person to arrive is the hero. So we don't even have to, we don't even have to know what's gonna happen. The people gasp. All right, so a Jewish person and a Samaritan person, they don't jive. They don't get along real well. We're not gonna go into all the specific details of why they don't and how they're distasteful to one another, but just know they really don't get along very well at all. So, this is the kind of individual, whether, say, it's a personality style, a certain generation, maybe they come from some certain kind of neighborhood or whatnot, but this is the kind of person that you just kind of go, nah, when they show up. You don't even really, really, really know them, but there's just something about the way that they carry themselves, and you go, nah, yeah, yeah. You get a bad taste in your mouth. They're the hero. They're, they're, they're the hero right now. And so when the people hear that, they go, oh, a Samaritan shows up. Now this is interesting. And then the specifics come. 
When he saw the man, he took pity on him. We got four dynamics to pull out of here. And the first is this one here, compassion. He had compassion on him. Walk towards people. For some of you, I mean, I I applaud like this. For some of you, you just walk towards people. And I applaud you. You astound me. When people are hurting, when situations are tough, you're right there. God has gifted certain people with gifts of mercy and compassion and helps, and it is amazing. But for the rest of us who aren't gifted with that, then it's a learned trait. We're just supposed to learn this. So I remember for years I sat in a group. It's got a big name, the District Board of Ministerial Development. So this is with people who are on track to becoming pastors. And so there's a certain time of some education experience they get. And I was on this group that would meet with these people a couple times a year. Uh, and what do you know? There's certain times that people going into pastoral ministry have a lot of wounds and have a lot of tough stuff in their background and a lot of baggage. And when you get to know them, they start talking about these. And I, I want to be like, I want to, I want to just silver line everything and just dance backwards. Let's, let's move it on. Let's talk about some good stuff. What's good going on now? And there were people that were much wiser than me in those scenarios. And I began to learn from them and they would say what I thought was the silliest thing. They would go, tell me more. (laughs) Okay, can, can you walk me through what you were thinking? Where was your heart in that moment? Where did God show up? Where were you, where, where were you disappointed, discouraged, thinking, you want them to tell you more? And I watched as the healing and the wisdom of the very Spirit of God would take place in those moments. I even had one of my friends, he actually is our regional superintendent right now, a good friend of mine named Chris. And he said, when someone was having a difficult time walking through, I said, I celebrate your pain. Tell me more. I wrote it down because I thought I've never heard that phrase before. I celebrate your pain. Tell me more. And I watched how God worked. It takes us into the the second concept here. So he went to the individual, bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine on. I looked it up. That's a good thing to do. That was a good thing to do. It's like antiseptic stuff. He was smart. There was some training. Then he put the man on his own donkey. So there's going to be some kind of sacrifice that he's making. So he's got to maybe take some stuff off the donkey and carry more. Or he was riding the donkey, but, but he has to put some physical energy into this. And he brings him to an inn and took care of him. There's this concept that we begin with compassion, we move to care. Sometimes there's some things of the heart and mind, but then there's these actionable things of real care. So this is where God's Holy Spirit is going to speak something to each of us. And so for some of us, it might, you might already have individual in mind, or God, Lord's going to bring them to your mind. It could be conversational, it could be actionable. God may be calling some of you to be innkeepers because this is where, this is where the care really, I mean, know this, there were limits on the care that were given. Sometimes we think, how much should I do? But there were, there were some limitations. We're going to get into that. The Lord may be calling some of you to the physical side of things. You go, I need to do my EMT training. I need to, you know, be ready in case some moments arise and some crisis happens that I know enough to do some certain things. Maybe for some of us, we need to be attuned to remind them who God says they are. Hey, God loves you. God's with you. God hasn't forgotten you. 
God's calling you to be in relationship. God's calling, like, don't, don't forget, you're, you're not alone. You, you're the one who's going to remind them of those things. Don't be shy to tell them the things that God would want them to hear because they're hearing the things of the enemy at this time. And when I say some of you are called to be innkeepers, that means some of you might be called to be high-level amateurs or professionals in counseling and, and clinical kinds of things to walk people through deep issues. Now, the next day, he takes out two denarii, gives them to the innkeeper to look after him. He says, now, when I return, I'll, I'll reimburse you if there's any expense that you might have. So there's compassion, there's care, and then there's this cost. So we all got a little bit of Dutch in all of us. And I think what we do quickly is we eye up people in situations and we, we dance madly backwards because we, we've ascended. That's going to be some emotional costs. That's going to be some finance costs. That's going to be some time costs. So we go, I don't want, I don't want any part. I want some, I'm going to create space. I'm not going to walk towards that. But let's just talk about actually how much this cost the hero in this story. Two denarii. If you had a denarii now and you melted it down and got silver out of it, it'd be $3.20. Not that big of a deal. But a denarii in that day was, hey, good job working today. Here's a denarii. So you might say it's like, you know, denarii is 100, 150 bucks. So two, two denarii, like 200, 300 bucks. Let's, let's cover the cost of a few nights here, of some meals. You look in on them, innkeeper. Just to say, the individual did put some boundaries did put some limits. He said, I got two denarii right now. That's what I got. And that's what I can give. I'm going to check back later. I, I just want to pause for a second in the motive. Sometimes we really wonder when we encounter people as we walk by, how much should I really give someone? Can, can we do this for just a little bit? I, I say, if you're going to walk into a, an urban setting and you know that you, this is the kind of place where people might go, hey, can you, can, you, can you help a brother out? That you pray through ahead of time and say, Lord, what do I got when that moment arises? And the Lord may tell you, put a five in your pocket or four fives in your pocket. And when you're out, you know, you, the Lord will indicate who it is. And then hopefully Pastor Vicki shows up and, you know, she's got somebody there that there's a whole lot of us that need to step into those kind of moments. I know a couple that puts four fifties on them for the month. 450s, and they dispense those just as they see needs of people that they encounter through the given month. Um, there's one moment that I particularly had at a Standell Meyer, and you don't necessarily always see people that might be looking for some extra help at that time, but you could tell it was the individual who was dressed warmly on a winter day, and they had a bunch of stuff in a cart, not a shopping cart, but like, that's their stuff. I wonder how they got there. I'm walking in, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, that one's yours. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. It really, you pray, the Holy Spirit will speak to you in these moments, way ahead of time and in moments. He went, that one's yours. And I didn't have any money on me. I had a debit card. So I walked through in a shop, and you know how you get distracted with blue, shiny things here and there and the other, and I went and bought things. But as I'm checking out, the Holy Spirit said again, remember, that one's yours out there. So got some extra. Walked out. Actually, I couldn't walk out the same door. It, that one was locked. But walking out, we crossed paths. And ever so humbly and quietly, he began just to say something. And I went, my friend, God told me that this was to be yours. 
And God loves you so much. I hope God blesses you mightily in that moment. I just wanna tell you that there are moments that you can pray through and you will understand the limits that God puts, but there will be a generous spirit that goes forth into the lives of others. And my best guess is it might've cost this individual two hours, 200 bucks, and some things on his to-do list to walk towards that moment, roughly. So here's how it wraps up. Which of you, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? All right, who's he, remember who he's talking to? He's talking to an expert in the law. He's talking to a PhD and he's asking this kindergarten question. So which one do you think was a neighbor? And the expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy. Do you see the progression that's happened? It's a simple answer. We begin with this, he's testing Jesus. We begin with now he's trying to justify himself. And now he's digested this story, this teaching moment. And he simply says, Jesus, I get what you're laying down. The one who had mercy on him. I get it. And Jesus tells him what he tells us. So go and do likewise. The question is never, who is my neighbor? <laughs> That's never the question. The question is, am I? Am I a good neighbor? Am I phylosenia? Am I living in ways that are in step with the very spirit of the living God. No more, what this means, no more Trojan War kind of stuff that takes place in my little world. No more mischief in Montana stuff that takes place in my little world. No more testing and self-justification. No more snarkiness with the things where God may be leading. Just simply, I get what you're laying down, Lord. Go and do likewise. Would you stand right now? Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Do you see how many good neighbors are in this room? Oh, my stars. You, you already have been living this out. You've already been living this out. And now you've been reminded of it. Or if you have never heard this, God is enabling you right now. So right now, there is gonna be hundreds upon hundreds, even thousands of people who are going to have a good neighbor in their life because God's got you. Do you understand the power of what God's spirit is up to in this moment? The hope that there is? Friends, there's hope for bad neighbors. <laughs> There's hope for bad neighbors to get it turned around because God is sending good neighbors like you into their midst. I can't wait to see and hear of the things that God is gonna do because you showed up and are walking out a little more like Jesus than you walked in today. Lord God Almighty, thank you for what you do in our lives. Thank you for how you inform us and thank you for how you transform us. Lord, thank you for people who have served us in ways in which we are so incredibly grateful. And may we go out walking the Jericho Road, ready to walk towards individuals 
by the very power of your Holy Spirit. In your name, amen.